Welcome to Between the Bullet Points, a podcast series that celebrates the journey and lessons about vocations and career paths. My name is Sean McDonald, and I'm your host for what I know will be interesting and insightful experiences from a variety of professionals across an entire spectrum of occupations. When we look for a new job, it's standard that we submit a resume, which contain bullet points with job titles, responsibilities, education, and other information. However, we rarely share the thoughts and stories that occur between the bullet points, and those can be some of the most significant parts of a person's career. This project seeks to inquire more about a person's professional journey that is not always evident from their resume. The career stories that guests will share are unique, interesting, and seldom told. I believe that each of our stories should be shared, as they can be inspirational and lessons for other people to start or influence their career paths and decisions. We're here today with Brianna Eskelin, who is the Director uh, of Workforce Development at the New Jersey Coalition of Automotive Retailers, so NJ Carr. Brianna, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you today? Excellent, excellent. Thanks for joining us on this podcast. And of course. as you know, we talk about people's careers and their career path and really how it's affected by a lot of influences in their life or where they started, where they end up. But typically it's not a linear path and it may be all over the case for some people, but there's a lot of things that happen in between. So that's why it's called Between the Bullet Points. And that's what we want to find out is, is what's really happened there. A lot of these influences really come out to be from other people or maybe a passion for something. Sometimes it's even just life circumstances and opportunities that come up or other influences and other personal beliefs and more. So it's kind of how we're digging into this and what we want to know just to, to really help other people out, whether it be younger students uh, or people looking for careers or a career path or maybe even a change in their career path and, and how does that happen. So. So right now, just tell me a little bit about what it is to be the Director of Workforce Development at NJ Carr, kind of what you do. What does it really mean and who are you working for? I was hired back in uh, January uh, 2019 as a consultant. I wasn't full-time. I was getting 12 years off a stint in retail in the automotive industry. I came equipped with certain skills that not your average person wouldn't have. I, I had a lot of experience at a young age and in a lot of areas that, that, that are not, um, you know, relative sound, uh, easily. So when they picked me up, they offered me a position as the director of workforce development to help establish apprenticeship programs, uh, for technicians and other areas in the dealership and also training for different job roles in the dealerships. New Jersey Coalition of Automobile Retailers, if you don't know, is the one state trade association in New Jersey that represents all 515 new car and truck dealers in the state. Most people don't even know what trade associations are or what they do, but basically we are a slew of people put together. Uh, we include lobbyists, attorneys, non-practicing lawyers, accountants, uh, a whole bunch of individuals that basically work for the new car dealers. We want to keep the legislation in Trenton working to our benefit, um, or at least not hurt us, and also the benefit of the consumer. We also want to help the members that we have run successful and long-lasting businesses. So I was brought in to help with staffing uh, for the reason that we suffer in many different departments, mostly in automotive technicians. Uh, there's a severe, severe deficiency in upcoming young automotive technicians coming into the business and we're really feeling that right now as the individuals are that are you know hitting the 45 50 year old age they're, they're leaving and there's no one to fill them uh fill those vacancies so uh taking my automotive training and expertise that i have i put together an automotive training program that ended up becoming an apprenticeship program with the united states department of labor so I oversee that. I recruit individuals into the program. I uh, run my own little uh, publicity campaign on how great it is to be an automotive technician. And I'm not just saying that. I'm married to one. So I know if behind closed doors or not. So um, that's my main job. Uh, I also, Good. being that I have so much experience in the automotive um, dealership world, I am basically the go-to for any kind of new programs that they want to put out. And they kind of just bounce ideas off of me on how it would work in a real-life dealership setting. You know, someone may make come up with an idea, and it just may not work. 
that's another big part of my job role. Good, good. That's very that's very interesting, and and it's nice to know that there is, uh, you know, this this organization that that's really going across because you don't realize in retail or you know look at car dealers itself, but look at any business and and say, is there something that ties them all together? Is there something that helps the workforce out and train people to get in there and, and be ready? And obviously, you know that I'm in the education business and technical and career education. So, you know, it's kind of like our connections together is actually how we met. Uh, but, you know, these these coalitions and connections uh, together that, you know, help people get jobs, have careers and really get into the workforce. And, and it helps out the community, helps out the businesses. But most of all, it helps have careers for people and, and a good pathway. Apprenticeship is a wonderful thing. So. Uh, great job. Glad you're doing what you're doing there. <clears throat> so you had made reference actually to a lot of experience in the field. Obviously, you wouldn't be able to uh, handle the job you're doing right now and be prepared to do it so well if you didn't have a lot of experience in, in other things that I know you do. Uh, so let's let's just at this time, let's just kind of like go backwards. Uh, let's go way, way back, actually, to uh, kind of like your your younger years and growing up to you uh, came from kind of a, let's just say, a car family. Uh, and yeah, I, know I think you... that's a good way to say it. <laughs> it's good. Uh, and you grow up uh, with a mixture of kind of uh, from New York and New Jersey. So we're, we're in the Northeast here. So tell me a little bit about you growing up and, and how you came to, to have this love of automobiles. So I guess um, we'll take you back to when I was maybe like four years old. And you remember that great day, bring your bring your son or daughter to work, mm-hmm. bring your kid to work. Day. Okay. So my father was never failed to take me on that day. And um, back when I, when I was young, we were living in New York, and my dad was a, a parts manager at a, at a big Lincoln Mercury dealership. And, um, you know, to, to a five, six-year-old running around, the big parts department, you know, everything looks, you know, grandiose. Uh, the the, the uh, pallets stacked, you know, miles high compared to, you know, you at 36 inches tall. Mm. Um, the smell of, you know, metal and oil. And I just, all those smells were familiar to me because when my dad came home from work, that those were kind of the smells he brought home. <laughs> and, um, you know, everybody admired my dad and always ran to my dad to ask him questions and, and get answers and, and figure out what to do. And I didn't know what it was to be a parts manager at the time. I just thought, you know, oh, this is so cool. Like everybody works with my dad. So over time, as I got older, I was, became a teenager. Again, he uh, worked his way up um, his career ladder and he was overseeing a very large operation um, also in um, Long Island. And, uh, I just loved it. It was so busy, the, the hustle and bustle and all the people and the cars. And, and I, I just, I felt comfortable there. I never felt out of place ever. You could stick me in a ballroom in a dress and I would feel completely out, out, of, out of place. <laughs> but, um, you know, in a shop, I never felt out of place. And um, my father, when he became, I believe he was 31. So let's say the late nineties, he was able to buy his first car dealership. It was small. Um, it was run down, but it was his, and you know he bought it with some with some partners, and um, you know this and uh, brought a life to us that was you know we didn't know before. So my dad began collecting cars, and I used to watch him work on his '69 Camaro and you know his '70 Chevelle. Um, these were hot rods for their time. For anyone that doesn't know, um, <laughs> and I just loved them. You know, I, I love the smell of unleaded fuel. Oh my God. Um, and I just watched him work on his cars all the time. And so that's how the gearhead in me started. <laughs> now, self-proclaimed gearhead. To... Very nice. Yes. Yes. Um, you know, I, I'm 33 years old. I've probably had upwards of 20 something vehicles. I've had two motorcycles, uh, anything with a motor. I love it. So from the get, you got to have passion about what you're doing. Uh, if you don't, you're not going to have the patience to deal with the stress that comes along with any kind of career that is high paying. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if those are your goals, you just got to make sure you love what you do. So that's going to be like the, I guess the motto for this, this whole podcast. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it, there's so many reasons, like I said before, doing things, but uh, one of the intriguing things about doing this interview with you uh, is obviously we can clearly say that uh, you are, 
non-traditional. Uh, oh, 100%. <laughs> might uh, hold true in your personal life, who knows? Uh, but definitely, you know, in this profession, to have females in automotive or around motors, around cars, around, you know, anything mechanical, uh, we certainly just don't have enough. And, and you know, let's wonder why, you know, was it was it something that was shunned, something that was not expected? And you know, I, I certainly talked to other people I've interviewed uh, elderly people. I've interviewed my parents. I've interviewed, you know, even just talking to my wife about her family or aunts and, and mothers and other people too. And that and things were certainly, no, no, that's not for you. You, you go in this other direction, you know, that's, that's man's work kind of thing. And, and anymore that really doesn't hold true. So I know that there's a lot of people out there, a lot of females <clears throat> that, you know, might be more comfortable around, things mechanical you know even automotive and all that too so you're you're kind of uh you know a role model in in some of those ways especially how you followed through in some of your career so so when your father took you to uh the dealership and i'm sure that was more often than just bring your child to work day uh, as i got older yes the summers eighth yeah grade, i started I, working <laughs> Yeah. So did you, and, and working there is great. And of course it's a little more comfortable because dad's there. Uh, I know I brought uh, quite, my, quite the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there's a few more expectations. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, I've taken my daughter to, to, to work many days too. And sometimes that was just because I just needed to watch her. Uh, but she certainly enjoyed being around and things like that. But seriously, did you ever think if you, if you look back now on your younger self and say, you know, did you really consider being in this business in some way, shape or form when you were younger and, and you know, whether that's at middle school age or the high school age or whenever that was that, yeah, yeah, I could, I could see myself doing this in the future. Honestly. Hmm? No. <laughs> <laughs> and why not? No. Uh, so my, my, in the beginning of my, you know, what do I want to be when I grow up? I had this whole, my whole life planned out. I wanted to go to law school. I wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to retire at a certain age from law, um, then become a judge. Yeah. Yeah. I had a whole, a whole thing planned out. Mm -hmm. So that went, got, that went away probably when I found out how long law school was. So then <laughs> once I passed that, um, I, I was dating someone in high school and their father, uh, had a brokerage firm, uh, on wall street. And, I became obsessed with Wall Street. I wanted to be a stockbroker. I wanted to be down there in the nitty gritty with all the men. Of course, I was just destined to be in a, a, a manly profession, apparently. Mm. Um, and I, that's what I wanted to do. So I went to college. I had a finance. I was going for my finance degree. Um, and I graduated in 2008. And for anyone that was, you know, over the age of 16 at the time, uh, would know that was a terrible, terrible year. Uh, we were in, we entered into a terrible recession. Everybody and their mother were going bankrupt, including the biggest banks um, and investment firms out there. Yeah, Bear Stearns, Merrill Lynch. Um, it was a nightmare for any kind of business student in college. Um, a lot of my friends stayed back uh, another two years and got their masters, and I was just like. <laughs> Peace out, guys. I, I need to go to work. Um, and I had always worked for my father um, in all different kinds of departments. I, I worked in F&I in the summers when I was in college. I had worked in service as a service coordinator. And, I mean, even back in the day when we didn't have computers yet and we wrote the appointments in a book. So um, I, was, I was comfortable. And that's where I went right after I graduated college. And, and that's fine. That's your entry point into the automotive business for for real, for, for a, a full-time yeah. job and start of a career. So, okay, so, so now you're starting this job. And, and again, you know, because you graduated with uh, a degree in, in finance and you actually had a, what, a minor in IT and all that too, this is a, a great background, but, but it is a career shift. It's a mind shift. Are you at this point, at the, at the start of that job, are you now thinking – I'll do this for a little while and I'll go do something else or maybe this will be my career path or what's, what's your mindset at this point? No, once I realized how good I was, that that's what I was doing. Okay. So to find <laughs> I, your niche. So, yeah. So um, I started as a service writer full time. And as I said, I worked for my dad. You would think, oh, you know, 
that's easy gravy work you know you work for for family is quite the opposite so i had gone from never having a full-time job and being a, a college student to within two weeks of graduation i was working six days a week commuting an hour each way up to flemington um and i was working from roughly 7 30 in the morning till about six o'clock at night uh monday through saturday so mm-hmm. I went from, I mean, this took a toll on my personal life, uh, whoever I was dating at the time, my relationship with friends. And I was 21 years old. Um, I was young for my graduating, my age. I had just turned 21 when I was graduating. It was, uh, it was hard for me, but the money made it worth it. And I, I guess I just always had this deep down need to, you know, for my parents' approval because I was so good at it, it, it caught an attention from my dad specifically that really shifted our relationship. Instead of me being the child and the liability, I was now not a partner. I wouldn't give myself that kind of credit this early in the game, but almost like um, an equal. Mm-hmm. Like, wow, she can work what I, you know, she can work the hours I work. She can hustle. She can make money. Like, and And all of that gave me more satisfaction than the paycheck, put it that way. Yeah. I could see that. A respected colleague suddenly instead of just a daughter. Yeah. So, good. Yeah. <laughs> now, at this point, I'm interested to hear this because I'm putting a lot of pieces together in my head. And from some of the things you already said, obviously, and what you uh, kind of gave me in a pre-interview piece, that <clears throat> let's just go back a little bit here. So, you went to school, middle school, high school. High school, you started thinking, my career is going to be in law. I want to go to law school. I want to do all these other things. I then you got involved in business, and there was a business um, academy that you were a part of, and you know you were wanted to go for finance. You ended up going to college for finance. Uh, so then your dreams of maybe their career in your future were that, and yet you end up working at a dealership pretty much because it was a good job, obviously. But and the was, world was falling down around us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it was a secure job and, and, and you got that too. Only to find out that, hey, this 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 really does work for you. This this is kind of your passion and your your thoughts and your dreams may have been elsewhere before, but now you're realizing that your your niche and your specialty and how you work and, and the benefits that come with it, which might be more than just a paycheck, uh, are really kind of things that you that you're you're grounded to and, and and is what is inspiring you was that pretty much a good summation of that i i would say so yes um i just i have to say that in order to be successful in life you have to be adaptable and um you know whereas my friends that stayed back for their masters because they could not adapt to the situation around them mm-hmm. um and what was going on in the world i'm one of those adapt and overcome <laughs> <laughs> as often as I can possibly do that, uh, successfully. Um, you know, I, I, with my second career, same thing, you know, my world was shattered when I decided to leave the car business, but I couldn't imagine how happy I'd be now. Cause when I was in the car business, all I wanted to do was have this career and work my 70 hours a week. And then I had a child and that's probably for down the line in the conversation, mm-hmm. but I mean, your world changes. So, Adapt and overcome. <laughs> That's good. And, and again, you're kind of going back to the, the theme and purpose of even this podcast because how your life changes kind of determines a lot of things. And if it's the circumstances in front of you, you're, you get married, you have children, you know, suddenly there's other priorities. You know, maybe what you like or do can be great and you can follow that. Or maybe it dictates some other type of change. So yep. whatever it is, and, and that's fine, and that's <laughs> – it's exactly why we're doing this. So <laughs> let's let's go back to your job at the dealership here, and and, and let's on just a few things here to, to understand, uh, because really a, a female can be anything, uh, and and that's just not you know a, a slogan out there. But yeah, uh, you can be a even looking at the automotive dealership, you know everything from a technician, which we automatically think, oh, you're either a salesman or a technician. That's it. Uh, but there's many, many other opportunities here, too. And you had a forte, uh, whether that be, you know, talking to people and understanding cars and parts and, and all things like that. So you came in working as a service uh, advisor, right? Yep. And and what is what is 
exactly a service advisor do? So when your car is broken and you need repair, whether it's or if you have a recall or, you know, you get free oil changes at your local dealer and you bring it there for service or maintenance, um, you call, you schedule an appointment. And then when you come in, you see a service writer. That's the person who takes your keys, who takes your complaints or concerns on the vehicle. Um, they dispatch the work to the technician to have it repaired. And when the technician makes recommendations, that's the person who consults you or sells you services or repairs. I did particularly well in this in this part of my life because I understood cars I knew how to explain it to people what was wrong with their car um, and then they were just so dumbfounded that a female was talking to them about drive belts and alternators that I'm pretty sure that they didn't register anything that was even <laughs> what I was even saying no, <laughs> no in all honesty they felt more comfortable with me um, than let's say you know a middle-aged man here I am a 20-something-year-old girl with a soft voice and, and a, you know, a big heart trying to, to guide people through what could sometimes be a really rough day. Uh, you're on your way to work. You're on your, on your way to vacation. You're on your way to your kid's little league game. Your car overheats. It gets towed. People are stressed. It is, is not, it's not always a good thing, um, and it's not, you're not always meeting people at the best time of their lives. So someone that can really uh, relate to them and comfort them, it, you're not selling them. You're, you're really just – providing them a service that they need at that point. And, you know, I just, I had a knack for it. <laughs> That's good. That's good. And and obviously people could trust you and listen to you and you knew what you were talking about. So, I mean, I, I know we've all had experiences maybe even beyond the automotive industry uh, where people, you know, listen to what we have or, or take our order or, or, deal with us and some of them just have no idea what they're talking about and that's frustrating so to find someone who does know what they're talking about is is a first step and that's good having the soft skills to deal with people and understand it's that's kind of like the next level up and and gain their trust and uh kind of walk that line everyone has experiences with with some of these things with going there and and being you know up sold uh you know oh you could really use this this and this and and yet I believe that, you know, you you weren't out for the sales. You were out for, you know, making that relationship and, and performing the service. Uh, how important, so thank you how important for making me sound like Mother Teresa, but <laughs> I, I, I had both. That's nice, you know, going after the money is nice. But, yes, I actually really enjoyed talking to people and people asking me questions and, you know, wanting to know more about cars because now where a woman would approach a man, you know, a man would approach a woman with issues with her car, she may be embarrassed or uncomfortable asking questions. These people would ask me stuff about their car and, you know, I would be able to tell them about it. And they would ask silly questions like they don't know how to program their radio stations and they'd be embarrassed. But, you know, I, I loved helping everybody. I, I learned a lot of patience in that department. And um, I think that has stayed with me for for the next decade of my life um, was all the things that I learned um, with communication with people. And um, because I still had my, I still had my issues. I, I wasn't great at the job at first. I mean, I would argue with people because people could sometimes be difficult and I can't tell you how many men would come in and not want to deal with me because I was a girl. They just wouldn't even want to talk to me. They would ask to speak with a manager right away, or they would ask to speak with somebody else. And I said, could you give me a chance? No, I'd like to talk to your manager. <laughs> So, you know, they would get some bad whispers when I walked away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I understand that. And it, it, it's reality. It's life. You know, it, it's got to happen. And there were some tears shed on multiple occasions, you know, because you make mistakes sometimes. And sometimes you don't fix the person's car correctly. So, you know, nothing is, is easy and, and as, as nice and as fairy tale as this conversation sounds. There was a lot of. Blood, sweat, and tears <laughs> uh, and as well. Yeah, exactly. And that, that's the reality of life in any job and career. I mean, I don't care how good a job is or a person's career. Uh, I think we can all look back and just say, you know, there were a lot of tough moments. And and for whatever reason, you know, things just aren't going right or somebody else kind of messes up and we got to help fix it or it's just circumstances. It is what it is. You're in your job here. You're doing uh, service writing, service advising. And now, you know, a couple of years into the job, and you're ready to kind of move on, move up, do something a little bit different, right? Yes. So opportunities come available, and, and what's that? So uh, we, we had hired a new service manager, um, let's say, in the middle of the summer, right? I'm still living with my parents at this time, which made for great Sunday coffee talk. 
um, uh, I'm sitting at the kitchen island. My father comes down and he's like, so out. And I said, oh, yeah, I could have told you that. Well, against what everybody is saying, I'm going to give you a chance. Monday morning, you're going to go to work. You're going to be the service manager. You think you could do that? I was like, yeah. I was like, I've been doing it, for, you know, for the last couple of months because um, the guy we hired was a real slug. Hopefully he doesn't hear this podcast. Um, <laughs> and uh, he's like, okay. He's like, I have faith you could do it, but you got three months. This was October. He's like, you have till January. You know, if things don't go right, I got to hire somebody else. This is my business. This is my livelihood. And I said, I understand. So uh, after, you know, falling off the chair and, and then, you know, regrouping, I was like, okay, I'll take, I'm going to go to work tomorrow and be the service manager. Fine. So I go to work and uh, the next day and I make the announcements to everyone and, and I do it in with as much grace as possible. Um, and after I get a couple of backs turned to me, a few people quit right there, um, a couple of FUs. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, then I carried on about my day. <laughs> I was like, great. Well, this is a good start. And, um, you know, let's put it this way. When you have a really bad day, it can only get better. So um, it did. It took all of the 90 days to, to get better. But, uh, yeah, I, I became service manager and uh, at the age of 23. And after a little bit of a rough patch, I was kicking ass and, you know, making money. Good. So one of the things that you shared with me prior, <clears throat> and I found really interesting because I can certainly relate to a lot of these aspects and, and something that I often have uh, more in professional conversations with. And your title is service manager, but tell me what you've learned during that time of the difference between a manager and a leader. I'll give you an example. When I became service manager, I was not just a service manager. About 50% of my job was psychiatrist uh, for my employees. Um, you have to understand, I was managing mostly men, mm. mostly men that were older than me. Um, they had money problems. They had wife problems. They had children problems. I didn't have a husband. I lived with my parents. And I, um, yeah, <laughs> I didn't have kids yet. So <laughs> it was very hard for me to relate. So I had to relate to them on the only way I knew how, and that was the car business. Right, we know the car business. We know that we fit. We fix cars and we do it for money. So instead of bossing people around and giving them direction, um, now I don't want to say direction, um, giving them orders, I decided um, I would be right there in the trenches with them. So within my first three months, well, no, within the first six months, because the warm weather started to come around. It was about May, so I was probably five months in. I took my my desk out of my office, uh, which was one door outside of the shop. It was just mm. my door. My door went right into the shop, and I put it right there in the empty bay space. And I said, "All right, guys, it's hot. I'm hot. You're hot. We're all hot. Um, I'm out here with you. I'm not inside in the AC. Let's get through it together." Um, and man, that summer, did we were we were cranking. We were making hours. We were fixing cars. We were making customers happy. My employees were happy. Um, and I, you, you can't, you can't yell from your yellow, you know, from your, you know, your golden tower, you, you need to be right in there with your people. Mm. So you can't manage, you need to lead. And by leading, you, you lead it with your people. That's your army. And when you're all, Oh God. And if I could just say this, and, and if this affects one person that is here, that'll hear this podcast, I live by this, this slogan, <laughs> <laughs> it is not my fault, but it is my problem. I had that everywhere. I had that on every door, on people's desks. I don't want to hear it's not your job. Your your bosses now don't want to hear it's not your job. Well, that's not my job. That's not my responsibility. I'm going home in 10 minutes. I don't want to do that job. And that is the attitude now. And right. I see it everywhere. And it's worse now than ever. And that entitlement's got to go because you'll never be able to make yourself of management or leadership or executive material, if that's your your, your thought process. So that just, I had to add that. <laughs> that's good. That, that's definitely something to for people to keep in mind. And, and there's a lot of good lessons in, within that. And, and I certainly concur. You know, a lot of the lessons that I've learned, uh, we learn the hard way. And yeah. you, know, you, you start out at first and say, okay, this is what somebody told me to do and this is how I'm going to do it. And you, you practice your management skills that way to find out, yes, there is a difference between management and leadership and exactly and what, what you it, say. 
Yes. That's what I told my staff. I said, listen, everybody's going to make mistakes. I don't care whose fault it is. I can't, I'm going to recognize who fixes it. So that's where the it's, it's not my fault, but it is my problem. Because I said, I'm going to recognize the person that fixed the problem, not the person that, you know, I'm not going to reprimand the person that caused the problem. You're going to be recognized for, for a resolution. And um, it, it, it became our slogan. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Okay, so now you're you're doing that for a little while, and um, I believe parallel life here and actually intersects with your professional life. And um, let's just say you, you've uh, you've come to meet someone at work. Is that correct? Oh God, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so we we skipped over that, but before, a couple months before I was given the opportunity as manager, I started dating and an individual that worked with me. We were not superior, you know, he was not my superior or vice versa. We were both of equal um, rank in uh, in our job roles. And uh, he was a tech, an entry-level technician and I was a writer. And um, yeah, basically uh, my father found out and fired him. So, <laughs> so there's your laugh. Yeah. Um, so we continued to date and we ended up moving in together that summer. And then when I became service manager, my father gave me the, uh, the okay to hire him back. So he did, um, he was there since day one and, and he's, he's been my ride or die. So, um, oh, that's good. yeah, he helped me through a lot of stressful days and, you know, and we took work home almost every day, which, which they tell you not to do that, but it's kind of hard not to, you know, and we had the work fights that would, uh, you know, continue into home and we wouldn't talk to each other for a few days, but you know, it, it made our relationship stronger. So yeah, a couple of years down the road, um, you know, we ended up uh, getting married. So that's good. That's good. See, it all ends up well. It's nice. It, uh, <laughs> it could make it for a very difficult situation or a very good situation or, or a little bit of both. Obviously there's, there's better days and great days and then not so good days. So just goes uh, to show you anything worth having is, is not easy to, it's not easy. Yeah. It's funny. It's also one of those things that people will, will look at you and say, you know, if it, if it doesn't turn out well, they'll say, uh, see, I told you it wouldn't work out well. Or, or if it yep. does turn out well, they say, see, you guys were meant to be, and I knew it would. Uh, so either, <laughs> either way, people are right. Uh, yeah, whatever. Uh, but it is interesting. So, you know, you can't help it. You spend your, your life there. In fact, you're working 50, 60 hours a week. You know, where else are you going to go? And by the time you're, you're done with work, you're pretty much exhausted. So social life yes. is, is hard to come by, right? Yes. No social life. We had no, <laughs> no social life. <laughs> you go. You're lucky to catch lunch together. That's okay. Yeah. So you're working here. You're doing well. You're moving up. And uh, later on comes a chance for you to set your sights on bigger and better things and some opportunities for some other training. Uh, so what, what comes along next? Uh, so right um, after me and my husband got engaged and, and you know, my father recognized that I was um, – Again, out, outgrowing my bubble, uh, we'll call it. And he decided we were going to expand the family business, and we decided to buy a couple of more um, dealerships over the course of two years. So uh, with myself, uh, my father, and my uncle, who's also my dad's partner, um, we were starting to get outnumbered. Uh, we were three in one store, and now we're three with four stores. So um, I had an opportunity to attend NADA, which is the National Automobile Dealers Association, Dealer Candidate Academy. And it is a eight-month program where, well, it's closer to a year, I'm sorry. Um, you spend a week down in Virginia um, in McLean at their um, NADA school, and you learn about different topics in the dealer. So one week is fa uh, focused on finance. The next is new car sales, again, used car sales, service parts. Um, and then the last week is just a general leadership um, retreat. Hmm. And um, the way you're supposed to work this program as for individuals that are coming up in the business as either a dealership successor or a dealership partner or a general manager that has bought their way into the dealership or earned stake in a dealership, they go through this program and the manufacturers recognize this program um, and, and it almost is needed for you to be an owner. Mm -hmm. um, even a small percentage, uh, that you complete this program. So, um, that was one of the best experiences I ever had. Um, I realized I learned a lot. I mean, I'm sorry. I, I realized I knew a lot about 
the back end of the business, service and parts, versus the individuals that were in the class, my counterparts. But I also noticed that all this time I spent in fixed ops, I kind of missed out on sales, which is important. So mm. I learned a lot about stuff I didn't know about. And, and that was great. It was a really, really great year. So you would spend a week um, at NADA, you'd come back, and then until the next class, you would spend that that period of time working in that department. And then you'd report back. Um, we had uh, almost like what you would consider an old school book report. Uh, we had a lot of financial information to fill out and a lot of um, financial analysis to fill out. So yeah, it was it was great. I, I learned a ton. Um, and it really, you know, the first couple of days was rough because I, you know, I hadn't sat in, in a co- in a class since college, you know, for, from eight to five, yeah. you know, it was, I was going stir crazy, but it was totally worth it. That's great. That's great. Again, it's nice to know that there are these things out there and NADA is obviously a well-respected organization and they're the ones that kind of put this program together. So it's, it's well done well put together and, and well respected and the dealers recognize it as you said so you know they offer other classes as well so they offer a parts managers course they mm-hmm. offer a service managers course they offer uh, general manager training and they also have atd which is um for uh, truck dealers the association of truck dealers for individuals that work at uh you know as a general manager of a uh, hunter or or mac store I'm sorry, Peterbilt or Mac. I don't know why I said Hunter. They make car stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. So it's good. And and again, you know, for anyone listening to the podcast series, that uh, there's there's reoccurring themes here, and uh, you know, experience, jobs, and education, uh, learning about it, and whether it's informal, kind of like learning as you go on the job, or whether you're actually going, you know, to a formal classroom or through a training course or something like that. It, either way, you're you're getting education, you're learning, and you're learning, and your experience, and your circumstances, and your influence, and it all kind of goes into the big melting pot to you know help you be where you are at the moment to look ahead, you know where you want to go, and almost make a plan to get there, uh, whether it happens suddenly or you're you're thinking long term. So that's the important stuff. There's there's many people who just don't know enough, and it's hard to kind of lay it out for everyone you know see what are your goals what are your long-term plans where do you see yourself in 10 15 20 years from now and even if they said oh i want to be you know running a car dealership or owning a car dealership or something like that that there's many ways to get there but there's there's a lot of opportunities along the way and a lot of experience to have jobs to do education to obtain you know learning of of every shape and form so hearing this and hearing what you went through is is pretty important in order to do that so uh that that pathway was great you got there you got that experience but that you you don't own a car dealership right now you're not running one what Mm -hmm. happened along the way there like i said we had gotten married me and my husband and um while i was on my honeymoon i was partaking in negotiations on on buying another dealership uh because work never stops. So we had just bought a new home and in April. We got married in May. And we closed on our fifth store in on June 1st. This was my store. So, you know, this was my store. I was uh, listed as dealer principal. And um, basically, I was responsible for anything and everything that happened there. Manufacturer relations, whether it made money or not, uh, basically all came down to me. It was really a struggle. Really a struggle. Um, emotionally. Physically, on my like my body was tired. I had a lot of a lot of trouble getting staff, so I would do jobs, the jobs of many. Um, you know, I, I I'd, I'd work at the sales desk in the morning. I'd oversee service in the afternoon. I'd go back to the sales desk in the evening. Uh, whatever I could do to make the business um, successful. And um, in September, um, I had my own personal issues because I wanted to start a family. I was going to be 30 years old just a few months later. You know, when you have to be faced with that decision, do I start a family? Do I continue focusing on my career? The want to have a child, I don't know if it is for a man as it is for a woman, will trump all of that. And you also have this sense of you're Superman or Superwoman, and you could do it all. Mm-hmm. So um, we Right, and we, you know, we got pregnant right away, which was awesome, and it was a great surprise. The following June, I gave birth to my daughter. Her name is Ella. Her birthday is um, 
this month actually on the 8th she'll be four mm-hmm. now nice. you know a lot of people said oh so you know are you gonna you're gonna take a lot of time off and it's like no i'm gonna take my eight weeks off like any other person would and i'm gonna come back to work you know people were dumbfounded with that first uh <laughs> they think like the business owner has you know all the luxury in the world and they could do whatever they want and it's just it's it's the opposite I came back to work when my daughter was eight weeks pregnant, well, eight weeks old, and my thank God I had my mother to watch her. And my, my mother babysat her from about seven thirty in the morning every day until I got home from work. Which sometimes, well, my husband beat me; he would pick her up, but typically till like six or seven o'clock at night. That'll take a toll on you. I don't sure. care who you are, superwoman or not. Yeah. And um, you know, two years of doing that, almost two years of doing that, I was tired. Uh, everybody was tired, and the business was going in a direction that was not what we hoped it to be and uh, we made a decision um, after about two years of having all five stores to consolidate and we we sold off a big chunk of our our businesses to um, a very reputable dealer and we kept one store in the family that I wasn't really involved with because it's down south I said okay you know I'll I'll take a couple months off you know I have some money saved and like I knew this was coming so it wasn't like uh, a rude awakening Right. And I'll, you know, I'll figure out my next steps in life. It was, it was really, it was bittersweet. You know, I, I, I got to come home on, on the last day of, of having the dealership. I got to come home and see my daughter and be like, Oh, I get to sleep in with you tomorrow. You know, like <laughs> yeah. you get to hang out now. <laughs> yeah. Like, hi, I'm your mom. Grandma's not your mom. I'm your mom. <laughs> like, and, um, you know, I was home for a couple of months and it was like the best couple of months of my life, even though I was bored out of my mind. It was just so great to be with her every day. And then, uh, and Jay Carr came knocking and, and said they had this opportunity and, and I could, I couldn't turn it down. Oh my God. I get to, I still get to work in the car business, but, but not work those long hours. Absolutely. I'm there. Good. I'm <laughs> Good. And, and that's really what it's all about. So finding where you really want to be, where you're comfortable at the moment. Uh, it's not like, Oh, I hate my job. I need to find something else. Uh, and it works out. So, you know, I, I wish that for everybody in the world that, you know, if you need to work and you need to have a career and do whatever, that, that that's obviously, you know, something you really enjoy, you're passionate about, but it works for you and, and whatever thing, that is. The big thing is, is that you don't realize what your skill set will make you have the ability to do. Like, um, I, knew, I knew nothing about anything except the car business. You know, I knew how to run a shop, how to sell cars, how to, you know, mm-hmm. I was very intimidated by the new roles that I was going to have. And then all of a sudden, you know, one of my first job, uh, my, my first tasks as a director of workforce development was to write a grant proposal. I've never wrote a grant right. <laughs> ever in my yep. life, but Hey, I was, you know, I, I, I awoken that inner college writer that would stay up till five o'clock in the morning, the night before a paper was due and you know, <laughs> I, I got it done. So you don't realize that you, you have these skills in you until you have to use them. You know, I was so silly to be intimidated, but I was. And, you know, now it's I just feel like I have more, you know, more skills under my belt. And I love it. With any any job, too, it's if you're going to come into it knowing everything already, you're probably overqualified for the job. So, you know, having all the experience you had is is great. And that's what's needed for the job. But to kind of keep you going and, and get your blood pumping. Uh, and and doing that it's it's nice to actually have a few new things to learn and do and and pull from that experience being a good writer or understanding and and putting it together with with all the skills and knowledge that you have of the automotive industry to write a grant about automotive and and training and and what you could do it makes all the sense in the world so i don't blame you for being intimidated by you know oh no i've never written a grant before I remember the first time I applied for a small one myself, and it was just like, am I saying it right? Am I doing it right? Is this what they're looking for? I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then when it comes back and go, hey, congratulations, you got, you know, $250. Grant. Hey, look what I did, you know. And, and since then, and obviously the one that you wrote was much more than that. So the stakes get even higher, and you, you have to make sure you're doing it right. So that, that's, that's wonderful. So it, building, like you had just said, like, um, if you know everything about a job, you're overqualified. And one of my mentors when I first started in the automotive business was a gentleman. Uh, when you are a service manager, you meet regularly with your district parts and service manager from the uh, manufacturer. So Hyundai, Chrysler, you have a rep that comes out and, and keeps all of your ducks in a row for the manufacturer, for instance, and helps you um, 
get through parts problems and customer issues, um, lemon law, if God forbid that happens. Hmm. And he told me one day, he's like, because I had made a mistake. And I was like, wow, I should have known that. And he's like, listen, he's like, the day you come to work and think you know everything is the day you need to quit. He's like, you will learn something new every day in this business, mm-hmm. every day. Mm-hmm. And when you're not learning anything, anything new, you need to, you need, you're done. You got to go. <laughs> and I was like, wow. <laughs> yeah, I, that's an interesting way of looking at it. But that it's resonated with me all this time. So it's true. There, there, there is a lot of truth to that, and and you get a little comfortable. And some people are are okay with comfortable. I had a, a colleague of mine who said boring is good. Yeah, <laughs> and he was of the mindset that no, he 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 did what he did and he did it for twenty five years, and every day pretty much looked the same in in many things. It's kind of like just. Whatever you're working on the same type of cars, not the same car, but you know every day is an oil change, and and he's okay with that. But many people aren't, and you know I, I certainly if you're the the kind of person that loves little challenges and and thinking of problem solving and moving on and taking on the next task and maybe even moving up, uh, you know boring is is not good. So uh, you know, we we look for those those challenges and and kind of do that and, and want to do it. Speaking of which, uh, you know, we're, we're going to wrap this up in a minute, but you're, we came right back full circle to what you're doing now. And looking backwards again, as we just did, you came into this job. They uh, came knocking on your door for this position uh, because you had knowledge, you had skills, you had experience, you had education. Um, so kind of like, I don't know, Tell me a little bit more about that aspect because you couldn't do the job you're doing now with all of that in your bag of experience, correct? No, not at all. So what what's no, I... the, the, the biggest pieces that you kind of pull from and all those things that, that you're applying? So um, uh, a couple of things. So what I, I used to be, you know, what I need to do my job now um, was automotive experience. I needed to know, I mean, to do it well. I mean, anyone could have put together a program and tried to recruit people, but it, it may not have worked. Um, I, like I said, I'm married to a technician. I worked hand in hand and helped fix numerous cars with technicians. I know this, what they, you know, the benefits of their business, and I know like the rough points. You know, like I, I, I know where they suffer. I know where they have issues. So when I built this program, I wanted to overcome those issues that I learned over my years managing these individuals um, where I felt, you know, I would hire kids right out of school and I knew where where their skills were, were lacking. I, I knew it the minute I, you know, I met them and I wanted to stop that because that's what was really hurting young technicians coming into the business is they weren't really equipped with what they needed to be successful and they were getting you know, sadly, fired too quickly or getting discouraged too quickly, and then they weren't staying in the business. They were leaving, and that's why we were hurting so badly. So it was my goal to try to take that experience I had, and when I developed my program, um, touch upon all those issues so that I could correct some of it. Now, if I hadn't been in the business all those years, I wouldn't have known those issues. I wouldn't have known what people need to know and what they don't need to know. Because I will say there are schools out there that are still teaching very outdated information to technicians mm-hmm. um, in their automotive engineering programs. And it's a waste of brain space. You know, these um, people can only retain so much information now that because it's, you know, boggled up with Google and YouTube. So w- wasting a semester or a couple of weeks out of a semester learning something that's not going to be a tool for you to use in the future is, is a waste of time. So when I made my program, I tried to cut out all the fat, all the fat was cut out and I wanted to just give them the tools they needed to be successful as an entry level technician in a dealership so that they could get in the door, they could get themselves situated and a year or two in, they could start really learning on the job, which is, I mean, how I learned. No one taught me how to be a service manager. I had some of the skills that you need. And then I just learned everything from, from, from working from on the job training. (laughs) That's great. That's great. So let's go back to that element now, which uh, is always intriguing and kind of, you know, one of the things that stands out about you, obviously, being uh, in a non-traditional career field for females. So 
what advice would you give young females or any female that, that has an interest in the automotive field uh, about being as part of this career and options they might have, obstacles they'll, they'll encounter, how maybe you overcame a few of those or how, how they could in, in some ways? What's the reality out there? What's, what's, what would you say? I would say in the last 10 years since I started, I, I actually have seen an improvement. Dealerships love to hire females as service writers because they are more compassionate, they are more organized, they are uh, more responsive. And that's the kind of person you really need in that role. Um, so if you do like cars and you, and, and you have you know dreams of working around cars, if you don't want to be a technician, um, that would be the ne- next best thing. You work hand-in-hand hand with the technicians, you get to help diagnose cars. You get to t- talk with people and, and, and help them fix their problems. And it's a great paying job. I, I mean, I know service writers that make anywhere from 65000 a year to over $100,000 a year. And then if you really are really good at it, becoming a manager at a young age is not difficult making that step. And then you kind of get to run your own house. Service managers can, can make anywhere from 100 to 200. I know some that make $250,000 a year, depending on how big of a, a shop they're running. The possibilities are really endless if you have the skills you just need to get started and get your foot in the door. Good. So and, I, and honestly, now being a female gives you almost an advantage because if you have all those skills, they look for females um, to, to, be, to be in sales because people are just much more comfortable dealing with women than men for whatever reason. <laughs> no, it's very true. I see that. I see it a little bit more uh, out there myself and obviously in, in training some of this. We have some more females come into our programs and to help them along and, and get them started into a career is, is pretty fulfilling, but they are definitely in demand. Uh, so that's an important thing. So I assume that a lot of that would not only go for females, but a lot of the advice about getting started and what your interests are and things like that really goes across the board. Would that be true? Yeah. I, I mean, if you are a young woman in high school and you have an interest in the car business, um, taking some automotive classes would not do you any harm. Um, and it wouldn't do you any harm in your personal life if you want to do something else anyway. I mean, everybody has a car and it's, you know, I'm all about independence. So, you know, just learning a little bit about how to change a tire and, and, and how things work so that you're more comfortable with it. You know, I, I, I think education is best. So if you really wanted to get to a start into the um, servicing of vehicles, uh, vocational school would be great. It's a lot of basic training. And you can have a, a really good uh, foundation for when you actually get into the business and need to start talking to customers about repairs on their car or to technicians that are saying, hey, you, you know, bank to uh, oxygen sensor is bad. And you're like, the who what? No, you're going to know what that is. <laughs> and it makes it easier for you to sell it to the customer for a repair. You could tell them what it does, how it works and why they need it. Perfect. Thank you so much. I have Brianna Escalin. Thank you for sharing your career story with us so far. Um, young person, you got a long ways to go. You've got a lot <laughs> happening here. Uh, who knows uh, you know, where any of our careers go, but uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll hear more about that. But uh, happy birthday to your daughter coming up. Thank you very much. It was so great talking to you. Uh, we really appreciate it. We'll definitely uh, air this, and a lot of people will, will learn things. So uh, you're helping a, a good cause. So. Really appreciate it. Thanks again, and we'll talk soon. All right. Take care. That wraps up this episode of Between the Bullet Points. My name is Sean McDonald, and it's my hope that these career stories can enlighten and inspire people that may be contemplating career choices or changes. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on this podcast, please email us at betweenthebulletpoints at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. This has been a production of The Resume Project regarding careers, resumes, and what happens between the bullet points.